we've got a, how are we doing, by the way? Good? I'm, I'm good. 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 All right. So we've got a fun topic, I think. We've been busy. You've been busy probably more than any of us on some acquisitions with some of our clients lately. We've been talking about this a lot in the office. And so we thought it would be helpful to to reflect on some lessons that um, our clients wish they would have known Mm -hmm. uh, going into uh, some of these transactions. And so we've got a a list of uh, four that uh, I think would be helpful for folks uh, uh, to review. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's get into it. All right, cool. I'll, I'll start. Uh, first one is legal and personnel are probably the top two ways that deals ultimately get killed. Now, I will say none of the none of our clients had uh, had their deals uh, struck down or, or or canceled or whatever because of legal and personnel issues. But I've seen this happen countless times. And so, you know, clearly, like the first thing you think about when you're when you're preparing for acquisition is the financials, right? Making sure you have a, a forecast and a model that makes some sense. You've got a clean set of financials. We of course preach that a lot. And that's very key. But some things that uh, our clients don't think about or often overlook is some of the the legal and the personnel related docs, right? So making certain that you've got uh, non-compete, non-solicit IP assignment agreements with all mm-hmm. of your employees. Uh, if you've issued equity, making certain that the equity was done properly, that you got 409A valuations done for, for stock options, for instance. Um, client contracts, making certain that to the extent possible, you don't have these really onerous um, exclusivity arrangements or most favored nation clauses or things that... Um, that you, quite frankly, when you're a smaller agency and you've got a big blue chip client who wants to push their statement of work on you, mm-hmm. you might not think about in the moment to say, oh my gosh, they want to pay us money and all I have to do is sign on this line. Perfect. Let's do it. I can tell you from experience, spending hours and hours on diligence calls, trying to unwind some of the decisions that I've personally made in that, in that seat, these are really important. And so uh, if you're an agency that's thinking maybe you might eventually sell. And by the way, that's likely everybody. I mean, whether it's retirement or just early liquidity, uh, being prepared is, is a smart idea. This stuff matters, right? So the advice I would have is make certain that you have somebody, whether it's internal or external, that's buttoning up the HR docs, as well as have a lawyer that is looking at your MSAs or statement of works and has created a, a doc that you can use on your paper and at least has coached you on the things to look for when, you know, a big brand wants to, to, to push those on yours. Cause that stuff matters and you will spend the majority of your time and diligence on that stuff and not some of these other things. So that's my number one. I will say though, like do that along the way, like start now, even if you don't think you're going to sell your agency tomorrow, if you start today, it's way easier just to to compile that information. Uh, All of these points really like start today and if you don't need it in and the future, the, great. But like, then you'll have it and oh, you're yeah. not digging around for it. And by the way, like you might have current employees who never sign anything on their way in. That's okay. Yeah. You can get them to sign a non-solicit, non, non-compete. Uh, and really it's the IP assignment that matters among those three the most. Mm-hmm. Do it now, right? You're, yeah. you're 100% right. It is never too late. But at, in the 30 to 60 days of due diligence for a deal is not the time. I can tell you that is... Right. Almost impossible. Which feeds into the next point is time kills the deal. So if you can get that information before you're starting these negotiations and the diligence due diligence process, um, that's going to help with the timing. It's going to move things along faster. Um, you know, it, the faster you can get it done, the it's it's going to be better. There's there's no I, advantage. And I to can waiting. tell you, 
There is a hundred percent. I mean, I, I have actually lived this. I've seen this personally. In fact, I've seen in the last year, two deals um, that I've been sort of involved with have fallen apart due to timing. And it's this classic story where uh, the agency is uh, gets an inbound offer or, or gets an offer to sell. And so then, you know, the, the due diligence process is incredibly time consuming. Like it is all encompassing, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have documents like well-organized and sort of a, a framework of a deal room ready, it's, it is a full-time job. And so often one or more of the partners will take their focus off the core agency and devote their full time to getting ready for the deal and to moving through the process. Well, when that happens, what happens? The pipeline dries up, right? Sales start to slow down because yep. in a lot of cases, one or more of the partners are a significant component of mm-hmm. um, revenue generation. And so when the pipeline starts to draw dry up, you better believe that the acquirer is asking for updated financials as the deal is progressing. Mm-hmm. And if sales start to decline, one of two bad things can happen. Thing one is the buyer loses interest and says, you know what, this isn't the business we thought we were buying. We're not, we're, we're walking. The other is, hey, we still want to do this, but you know, the fundamentals have changed. The price uh, the multiple has changed, right? And so, again, uh, you know, obviously having sort of a repeatable revenue generation, the business is not entirely reliant on you. That's a, that's a core framework, core principle of yep. like being ready for a deal. But be ready. Like I, I can tell you the last deal I specifically did, uh, we got through, we broke a land speed record. We got through diligence in like 31 days. And the only way is because we were ready. We literally... We got an LOI. We handed over a deal room that was like 85% complete the next day. And that is what you want to do. Did you guys have, when you, to do it in 31 days, had you had already been through like some of that due diligence work? No, we hadn't. Um, No, we just all hands on deck. This was our first. Yeah. So we worked with a bank, which I recommend, quite frankly. Um, We can talk about that more in a later episode. But we worked with a bank. We said, look, we want to be ready like day one. So provide us Mm -hmm. uh, a couple diligence lists you've had in prior deals. Yeah. Uh, We were actually fortunate that this, that our bank had worked with this buyer in the past. So we were you know, 95% of the, the diligence list they had seen before. So uh, we put a, a room together and it took us at least a month. Um, in some cases, maybe a little bit more. Uh, took us at least a month to get it ready. But again, then we were there. And, and at that point, yeah. we were just dealing with questions, follow-ups, stuff like that. And it was still a full-time job um, for some of us, but it helped us move a lot faster. Yeah, what the one of the deals that I just got done with, they had been through a couple prior to that, so they had all of like the paperwork and all of the the contractor and contracts and all of that information yep. pulled and ready. So then by the time they already they got to the the actual buyer, they had it all. It was there. It was and done. Yeah. yeah, but there was a lot of work that, months before that. So yeah, totally. Um, okay, so here's my third, or here's our third, my my second. Um, Terms matter and everything is negotiable, right? So this is even almost a cliche in, in the M&A world. But, um, you know, I think certainly founders who are going through a deal for the first time, they're overly fixated on the headline number, the, the price. Um, and I would argue the terms that surround that headline number are as important, if not mm-hmm. more important. So I'll give you a couple examples. One being networking capital is a thing that um, is a, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the details about how it works, but ultimately the deal assumes uh, some amount of networking capital in the business and any excess you get to keep, right? That is a highly negotiable term and it can result in seven figures 
uh, of difference in how much cash you take. Um, and it's all upfront, right? So a lot of agency deals, maybe not so much as in, in the recent past, but uh, in the sort of medium past, have included earnouts, right? Mm-hmm. And so the upfront amount is sort of, uh, you know, a, a small amount of the total consideration. And so moving the needle on the upfront cash can be really meaningful. And uh, the networking capital amount um, can be negotiated and that can move the needle by, like I said, seven figures. The other, uh, another example, but again, there are endless examples would be if you do, or if you are in an earnout situation, the terms of the earnout can be highly negotiated. So uh, again, in the deal that uh, most recent deal I did, uh, there was an earnout. Um, and, and we, we actually devoted a, a significant chunk of our negotiation to that earnout component. And a couple of things we did was increase the amount of the earnout, uh, but also eliminate the maximum, right? So of course the earnout's going to come and it's, it's generally binary. You hit this number, you get this amount. Uh, you don't hit this number, you don't get this amount. And, and we added a caller to it to say, okay, no, if we don't hit the number, we still want to be paid. If we exceed the number, we want to be paid by a higher multiple, Mm-hmm. And we want an opportunity to exceed the total consideration by a big chunk. And I'll tell you with the benefit of the hindsight, that increased the total value of the deal by like 25% because the business ultimately did exceed the target. And uh, it was because we pushed on that, that amount. So it's just a, 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 a note that uh, the price is valuable. And that's it's obviously the thing you want to focus on. But the terms uh, really dictate ultimately mm-hmm. how, you, uh, how you end up uh, on the deal. Yeah. What I found very interesting, and you were in the thick of it with me on one of the deals we just did, was the definition of like the working capital, the nitty gritty of like the definition of debt versus is this a current asset, current liability? It's just, yeah, it's... It becomes really really granular. And it's almost just a, a point to say like, Make sure you're getting help through this, yeah. right? If you're listening yep. to this and you're 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 either thinking about selling, you're actually in the thick of it. Like, know that every line on that document is negotiable, and you need some folks who are familiar with these deal terms to help you through that. Whether it's a bank or it's your attorney. accounting firm or whomever it is, yeah, yeah your attorney. Uh, make sure you're you're looping in the right folks. The deals that we've been pulled in on early, we're able to help negotiate those things. Yep. Um, and the ones where we're not, it's, it's, it's obviously harder. So just make sure you're getting help wherever it comes from. Yeah. Um, our final point here is EBITDA adjustments. So for those, I'm sure you are all familiar, but uh, EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Um, and so the importance of this is a lot of the banks, when you're when you're going to get financing on the buyer side of it, your banks are looking at the the company's financial statements and to have um, strong reasons. So like one example is, hey, we had an attorney fee and this month of this year that was, you know, not, it, it, it was for one particular project. It was a large fee. We're going to call that an EBITDA adjustment. So really our net income should have been higher than and what it was. We're going to adjust down um, or adjust back up the net income. So it, it is, we would have done better if we didn't incur that one-time expense. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And I, I was just going to, not to cut you off, but I was just going to say, I mean, this this is all storytelling, right? I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, the yep. way that, like, the, the price is negotiable. And so generally, it starts with, like, uh, we're going to pay an EBITDA multiple, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, we're going to pay six times, seven times, ten times EBITDA. Mm-hmm. And that's how we get to some price. And and as the seller, as the agency owner, what you want to do is say, actually, you know, my financials say EBITDA is a million dollars, but 
There's all kinds of one-time costs, owner distributions, things that if you were to have owned this business, you wouldn't have incurred. So really, my EBITDA wasn't $1 million, It was $2 million. So if you're going to pay six times EBITDA, it's not a $6 million price. It's a $12 million price, yep. right? And so that's the game. And uh, I think in your case, correct me if I'm wrong, Meredith, your, your client or our client, with our help, of course, we were really diligent about preparing these EBITDA adjustments a year or so like prior to the sale. So like we were very diligent at going through and saying, hey, let's make sure we're sort of like flagging some things that are non-recurring or yeah. or we think we could pull out to help build this the adjusted EBITDA story yeah. um, to move the the price north. And I will and that was really effective. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It was more on the client than it was on us because they're the ones in the day-to-day operations knowing like I can look at a budget to actual and say, here's what we planned for. Here's what we actually did. This large variance, what, what's going on. And maybe I'll catch some of them. But they were very in the weeds of right. knowing like this is a one-time expense. Let's pull it out. This is, And they were doing that. Yeah. Like we had three years worth of that data when they were going to, to get financing. So um, yeah. it's important, but you have to be as an agency owner, a knowing or, or in operations, like knowing what's going on and being a part of those, those conversations too. That's right. Well, look, I mean, I think the, uh, the through line for all this stuff is um, preparation, right? Like yeah. if you've thought about, if, if you're thinking about selling your agency for the first time, when you have a, an LOI in hand, it is too, too late, right? It is really hard to do some of the really important things to make this thing go smoothly and to maximize your exit value. So again, I'll just continue to say, whether you're trying to sell it or not, start getting prepared now. Yeah. So I, I actually just kind of timely, I was just talking to a client and they're like, yeah, so like talk to us about selling our agency. Like what should we be doing if if it's a five-year plan from now? And the EBIT adjustments was one thing I said, but what are your yeah. other thoughts on like if I'm if I'm looking five years in the future, what else should I be doing today? Well, by the way, this is probably a really good prompt for another episode. So I'll just hit like a few a few things really okay. quickly, which is to say uh, you know, first of all, you just need to make sure that you feel like you have a good sellable foundation, right? Yep. So is the agency a sellable agency? Can it exist without you? Do you have repeatable revenue generation? Do you not have client concentrations in the wrong areas? Are you specific enough in some of your focus? Are you, is your, is your, uh, is your offering one that is, um, has some headwinds or tailwinds, right? So just like, again, the whole package of what is a sellable agency, yep. that's kind of table stakes. Uh, and then once you feel like you've got the table stakes nailed down, uh, then it's this stuff that we talked about, right? Yep. It's it's making sure that you're looking to the future, uh, you're operating the present with the future in mind. And again, what I would do, and I do this with every business I touch now, is like I would start a deal room right now. I would start moving, like, and I would create. Here's my personnel documents. Here's my legal documents. Here's my financials. And every time a new person gets hired, you throw it in that folder. Every time you you. Uh, close a month and you have financial statements, throw it in that folder. Yeah. And it, and just that create that hygiene and then you are, you're ready. And then the final thing I'll say is if, if you are really genuinely interested in, in selling, that's a part of your five-year plan, then I'd start to be mindful about who is out there. Who's going to buy you? Like, who is it? Is it an a, another agency holding company? Is it a, is it a, 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 a smaller agency that looks more like a merger? Um, is it a technology company that wants to bolt on service? Is it a, a technology partner? Who who is it? Who is in your space? Um, and then I would start to explore like business development to corporate development. That's sort of the classic way that businesses are sold. And so business development being 
how can we collaborate with this potential future acquirer in a partnership? Mm-hmm. How do we kick the tires on one another so we see what each of us can bring to market, what we like to work with, those sorts of things. Um, and uh, us generally healthy partnerships often result in, in productive M&A conversations. So yeah. I would absolutely start down that path. Um, yeah. Go from there. Awesome. Cool. Okay, this was good. Yeah. Uh, if you like what you heard, subscribe to the YouTube channel below and uh, you can obviously reach out to us for more info, upsourcedaccounting.com. Follow us uh, on blog Instagram. Yeah, you find us on Instagram. We're all over the place. Cool. All right.